today's Alumni Voices podcast. And today we're going to be talking with three experts about time to upskill, how the coronavirus has changed working forever. And today we're going live into Perth as well as Singapore. And first we'll speak with Adrian Tan in Singapore. So Adrian is the practice leader of Future of Work Tech at PeopleStrong, an India-based enterprise HR SaaS platform. Adrian, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for the invite. And we're going into Perth with Nate Sturk, who's a passionate educator and advocate for local WA startups and innovation and community. He's currently managing director of Skills of the Modern Age, a skills academy helping organizations get ready for the future of work. Nate, welcome. Thanks, Nate. And we've got Shona Rowan, who works internationally as a performance and mindset consultant, inspirational speaker and high performance coach. Shona specializes in helping organizations develop their talent, retain their clients and empower their female staff via inspirational events, peak performance workshops and webinars and private coaching sessions. Welcome, Shona. Thanks so much, Josh, for having me on. So it's an interesting time that we're all going through and Shona, prior to COVID-19, every week you had opportunities to network face-to-face. How has COVID-19 made an impact in the ability to network and has it fast-tracked our desire for these virtual events? Yeah, so I think it has obviously impacted all of us in terms of those face-to-face opportunities, Josh, that we all kind of love. But at the same time, I think everyone's getting really creative about other ways of kind of staying in touch with each other and, and building those relationships, right? Because even though we're sort of physically isolated, people don't like being socially isolated. So I know in my world, you know, lots and lots of my clients and friends and colleagues are engaging in things like, you know, Zoom catch-ups and like we're doing now with video videos there's all sorts of things happening like virtual book clubs you know I've been invited to a virtual drinks on Thursday (laughs) whether or not we drink Josh you know virtual coffee catch-ups so I think you know obviously the way we network has definitely changed because of what's going on in the world but I think it's important for all of us to remember that that doesn't mean we can't network it doesn't mean we shouldn't network you know just the way in which we do that may have changed a little bit and I know in my world you know, I love those one-on-one catch-ups and I found people are quite available <laughs> because, you know, people are strapped to their computers all day. And we're not driving around in our cars and doing some of those other things so much. So I think, you know, it's a great time to reach out to people and to stay in touch with people. Um, yeah, just using different avenues to do that. Have you seen something similar in Singapore, Adrian? Oh, yes. Uh, a lot of webinars have been going on recently. Uh, people are doing a lot of different stuff online. Uh, I'm seeing people uh, having exercise lessons through Zoom, uh, yoga lessons through Zoom, and most recently, even a book sharing club through Zoom. Uh, I was invited to a meditation session through Zoom as well. Uh, That might be a bit overboard, but I think a lot of people are starting to experiment, trying to bring their normal online and trying to see what works. Because in this time, it is really a very unique period of time where a lot of people do not know how to react. There's no rule book on what we should do. So people are just trying to throw stuff onto the ceiling and see what sticks. What's stuck for you, Nate, from a virtual event standpoint? Because, I mean, with a lot of uh, events that you or the workshops that you're in charge of, it's all face-to-face. Was it a quick transition to go on virtually? Uh, I kind of had to be a quick transition. So about 85% of our revenue previously came from in-person workshops and events, both public and, and for corporates. And so we had to adapt really, really quickly to survive. And we've seen many organizations um, do that same thing. So we've kind of had to very quickly move from a world where we facilitated events and learning experiences in physical rooms with 20 or 30 people mm-hmm. 
uh, and over the last, um, well, since COVID-19 has hit, we've had around uh, 10 to 15 events with about 500 people attending those online. So we very wow. quickly had to um, adapt our model, which has come with a lot of um, challenges, of course, mm. but also lots of opportunities because this is stuff we already had in the plan, but we've been forced to do it by our circumstances. And I think what we're seeing is, you know, the businesses that will survive or thrive in this time are those that are willing to have that uh, moment of adaption happen really, really quickly and to mm. take action rather than um, kind of wait or put, put, hit the pause button. Yeah, as Nate was saying, um, in my world, a lot of people love the face-to-face events as well. And a few of my clients were kind of already embracing things like Zoom before, but most of them, you know, a lot of them were a bit more resistant. People mm. weren't up to speed with technology. And then all of a sudden we kind of had to, right? So I definitely see in the learning and development space this transition happening and, you know, some of my events that were booked as face-to-face, people emailed through and said, even though, you know, for some of the clients that I worked with, it was a first time for them. They were like, are you happy to do this and try this as an online session? And I had obviously experience in that space. Mm. So we moved it to Zoom. Um, So the same as Nate, I see this transition now, I think with a lot of people that maybe weren't as big of fans, you know, we're forced to adapt in these times of change and it's an exciting time in the learning and development space for me because now you know it just opens up the parameters within which you can work and the way you can reach people and and how far you can go with that you know research and markets have forecast the e-learning market to triple by 2025 to reach 325 billion which is an astronomical amount (laughs) Uh, you talked about how you've adapted to the remote learning but were you as well prepared as you thought you'd be uh, not really, to be honest. So we, we always deliberately were never going to be uh, an, an online-only learning provider. So we never wanted to just develop courses, put them online, and have people learn on a one-to-one environment. We believe that learning happens best as a cohort-based experience. And so we've always been quite um, hesitant about doing online learning experiences with the assumption that you can't get as strong learning outcomes mm. or social outcomes when you're geographically distanced and over video. However... What we have found is that that's definitely not the case, is that you can actually have some really rich experiences, even though you're distanced. And of course, there's things that you miss out on. You don't have those little side conversations that happen in the breakout, um, in breakout tables. You don't have the physical proximity of looking over someone's shoulder and making sure a learner's okay. But there's lots of positives as well. The amount of collaboration and scale that you can get with this online learning um, is pretty amazing. Probably weren't as prepared, but mm. um, but we very quickly became as prepared as we could be. So did it help you rethink the assumptions regarding, I guess, the current trends, the online learning? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, we, we like I said, assumed that we couldn't deliver the quality experience that we want to deliver with our workshops in an online environment. That's certainly not the case. Our satisfaction and NPS ratings for the participants of our online programs have been largely consistent. Uh, with our in-person programs with the added bonus that we're now reaching people throughout Australia, uh, not just in WA. So we had someone from Taronga Zoo on a workshop last Queensland, people that we never would have met or interacted with, but online learning has allowed us to spread our message, spread our mission and, and connect with new people. Yeah, wow. Now, Adrian, in response to COVID-19 pandemic, uh, many technology companies are rolling out tools that can support companies when going remote. You know, we've got with Google and Microsoft, for example. What are the current megatrends in technology that supports the future of work? Uh, I think 
The key thing here, of course, you need to have, ensure you have the base uh, infrastructure in place. I think we are very fortunate to be in countries where we have good internet access. Mm. Uh, we have very decent uh, hardware that could do the job. Imagine if we were to go back in time. Uh, remember when SARS happened in 2003? None of this could happen. There's no Zoom. WebEx was still just a startup. And uh, we wouldn't be able to find any form of alternative. But in today's context and with 4G and with 5G coming in, uh, I think the kind of technology that we have is still at the infancy. You can imagine a lot more to be more of ready player one kind of technology once 5G <laughs> is in place. Maybe not the tactile sensation you can feel on your suits, but I'm very certain VR will have a big place to, big part to play uh, in, in the future if this were to happen again. But by and large, a lot of companies have been trying to find ways and means to uh, continue the way they work online. Uh, collaboration tools like Trello, Asana, even for my company, People Strong, we release a tool called Zippy for free for companies to use to encourage them to engage uh, for performance uh, management. And I think it also uh, created a shift in mindset. Many Singapore companies have never been a big adopter of remote work. Uh, well. I think that's, that's probably because uh, many bosses, many managers would always have the fear that if you are at home, most likely you're not working. You should be next to sick. <laughs> so uh, I think, I think this, this, this situation has forced many companies to rethink how they measure work, not by process, but more by outcome. And of course, that would also lead to uh, a huge adoption in having more quantifiable means to measure your performance, measure the things that you can deliver versus measuring the amount of time that you spend on it. So I think mindset has been changing and mm -hmm. also the technology that is in place is helping to enable that mindset shift as well. Now, Shane, you've worked with a lot of organizations across the globe. How different are the cultures in the regions that you've, you've worked in? Because, you know, Adrian's talking about in Singapore, managers are a little bit worried about work, their employees yeah. working from home because they can't necessarily control what they do. <laughs> Mm. Well, I see it different in different sectors as well, Josh, right? So I do a lot in professional services, but also since moving back from London, doing a lot in oil and gas mining, those sorts of things. So I do see differences in some of the different sectors in terms of how quickly they're embracing this and how they feel about remote working. You know, in terms of my sort of space around the learning part with technology, Again, there's some differences with clients. So one of my clients, you know, like Shell, who I've worked with for years, they were very quick in embracing um, remote learning because they have such a dispersed workforce and, and doing webinars and stuff like they were probably the first company I ever did one with many years ago. And they had like a virtual um, networking group within Shell. Many of my other clients were much more, they had that mindset, as Adrian was saying, the kind of a bit hesitant, is this going to work for us? They, they weren't into that. So now... I, I like the fact, and I can see it very obviously with everyone I'm speaking to, that those mindsets are having to shift because of need. And so people that weren't ready to embrace the Zoom training, all those sorts of things, the remote working, those mindsets are being, you know, they're being forced to shift. And now everyone's kind of going, well, how can we find a way of making this work? And then as Nate said, once you start trying, you realize a lot of those unhelpful mindsets that you had or those assumptions that you made weren't necessarily true. And, you know, I did do a big webinar the other week and we had people internationally dialing in. 
And I was like, well, how cool is this? And everyone off the back were like, wow, that was more powerful than we kind of thought it could be. And then all the functionality that's also improving, which again, I'm really excited about as a learning professional, you know, and there's breakout groups and there's so many things you can do now to do really good live training like we're doing through a Zoom session or, or online workshops. There's just so many more things happening that's up-leveling the service we can deliver in this way than, you know, even a few years ago. So I think it's a really exciting time. And yeah, definitely I'm seeing mindset differences amongst different sectors and, and different companies. And even within companies, Josh, I think a lot, you know, it comes from the up down. And, and if the leaders and managers are really embracing some of these things, then those are the companies where I see, you know, the people and the staff, you know, embracing those technologies quicker than if perhaps some of the leaders um, or some of the learning heads within the corporates I work with, if they're a little bit more hesitant around technology, then those companies are a little bit slower to adapt, you know? Nate, so, Nate, yeah. So, Nate, are you, have you been conscious of your leadership style during this pandemic? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a really um, interesting point and something that you need to be really deliberate about because you know, everybody is feeling a bit of uncomfortableness, right? So everybody is having to adapt, both you as a leader um, and your employees, and the amount of uncertainty that exists um, in the world at the moment. Your role as a leader is to provide some of that certainty, to have some of that empathy, um, and to make sure you're not just supporting your immediate team, but the community that you serve. So our community is our corporate partners, um, our learners, etc. And so, yeah, we've been very, very, um, one thing I've been is very, very open and transparent. So we share our financials, for example, with our team to show them how much runway we have, how much lost revenue we have due to our work that's been cancelled. Uh, and with our community, um, we've tried to be um, as supportive as possible by offering a lot of free workshops. So we basically translated a lot of our upcoming paid programs um, to what we call weekly skill gyms. So skill gyms are effectively 90 minutes short, sharp, uh, learning experiences, those topics that we think are really important right now to help people to adapt, things like mm -hmm. prototyping, um, things like user empathy, things like remote facilitation skills. Um, and we've found that uh, has really worked in, in building that sense of community um, and making sure that we have an authentic leadership and we're kind of walking the talk um, in this really difficult time. Now, Shona, you're a thought leader. People come to you for industry insights and knowledge in your field. Uh, what's the importance of personal branding in 2020 and has building our brands changed since COVID-19? So I think it's as important, if not even more important than ever before, Josh, right? So, you know, you and me have talked a lot about brand in the past. Everyone has a brand, whether they know it or not. You know, we all have a brand whether we like it or not. And it's those common words and associations that spring to mind when people hear our name. And one of the big things around building your brand is building trust. And as Nate said, there's so much uncertainty. There's so much change. People are wanting that reassurance. People want to work with people they know they can trust and they have a proven track record with and are experts in their field. So I think more than ever, it's important, you know, the way we build our brand, I think we need to be conscious of because so much more is online and there's so much noise online, right? There's so much happening online at the mm -hmm. moment. I think for all of us as leaders and as business owners and, and as individuals that work for companies, like being really conscious of the way we are communicating our brand online, you know, and the messages that we're giving out and how we're representing ourselves and all those sorts of things. So, you know, as a business owner, working with lots of corporates, you know, I'm very conscious of my brand and, and thinking about my leadership style and also being aware of not kind of over bombarding people because I know when I spoke to a lot of my clients during this time, 
there's just so much happening. I think you need to be really conscious of adding value and thinking about what's relevant for your specific clients and your specific market that you work with. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, I have an online community that I share free resources with and things like that. And I'm very conscious of what I'm going to provide and what I'm helping them with during this time around things like psychological resilience, because that's what everyone's telling me they need help with. And like Nate, we offer free things and that kind of stuff. So I think for all of us being really conscious of your brand, you know, it, it's out there whether you like it or not. And with the kind of online footprint as well, it follows you. So be, just be really conscious of, you know, what you stand for, how you're promoting yourself, um, not going into fear and kind of overkilling, I think as well. So um, that, that consciousness around brand, I think is, is even more important than ever before. I'm building trust. Have you noticed that in Singapore, Adrian, in regards to people concentrating a lot more on their personal brand? Um, well, I think there has been a spike in people trying to be, uh, be seen as thought leaders. Mm. Um, again, a lot of noise on uh, their opinions. And, and well, firstly, Singaporeans are by and large a very opinionated crowd. So uh, <laughs> with COVID-19, uh, opinions are just getting uh, more and more. And you have a lot of people trying to make the sense of the situation. Uh, and yes, there have been... Uh, because we are, we are currently in a lockdown mode, so everyone is also quite um, moody about the whole thing. We just received news yesterday that the lockdown is going to be extended until 1st of June. So a lot of, um, a lot of people, a lot of thought leaders, a lot of personality have been coming out to, to, to guide uh, others on what to do. How do you stay calm? How do you maintain your composure? And yes, a lot, a lot more in this space in trying to guide you on what you should do with, uh, during this pandemic. Now, Nate, when the coronavirus finally abates, uh, businesses will be in a rush to reestablish their value, re-energize their products quickly. But how will they? I think that's the um, the, the, the million-dollar question, Josh. <laughs> I think that's what everybody's kind of thinking about. One of, one of the programs that we've been delivering um, is the Plus 8 Academy programs, which mm. are for early-stage entrepreneurs and startups, so people that are working on um, scalable technology businesses. One of the questions we always ask those entrepreneurs are, are you pivoting? your business model or are you staying course through this time? And we're seeing probably about a 50-50 split that some people are completely adapting and this will become the new normal for them. Uh, and then 50% uh, are staying course. They're staying course with their existing business model and hoping to come out the other side as a continuation, almost as if something, as this event um, never happened. So I think the way, the way they'll do it um, is through, through adaptability, through open-mindedness and through experimentation. I think the businesses that will succeed are the ones that experiment with new ways of working. Um, you know, to take a really simple example, you look at the coffee shop down the road, some of them have stayed open and experimenting with new things like takeaway cold brew, um, takeaway, uh, you know, takeaway food, new things that they can still sell and at least have a little bit of income coming through. And others have hit pause. And I think it's those that have the resilience to adapt and to experiment and maybe still come out the other side in the same business. The ones that experiment are the ones that are going to... Um, thrive and perform um, after, after this is all over. Are you expecting them to ramp up training and investing in remote working as well? I think for corporates, I think the, the big question is, is, is this going to be the new normal for corporates or mm. will we revert back to the way we've always done things? I think the answer is probably somewhere in the middle. Mm. So I don't expect uh, us to, in Australia to fully move to remote working, but I think we'll have a much greater appreciation, as Adrian said before, that people can actually work and you can have trust in people from working mm. 
from a remote location. It's not about clocking a nine to five. And we've always talked about this for the future of work and mm. um, that in the future of work is not a set rigid salaried schedule. It's about the delivery of the work that you do. And I really hope that this period that we're in teaches our leaders that that is something that can be, uh, can be adapted and used to have a really high performing culture in the company. So, yeah, I think that's the big question is, will we actually go back to the normal? What things will we take from this period? And, um, and how much of our world will be different in two or three years' time? I'm hoping that it will be, um, we'll keep a lot of what's, what, we're, what we're finding today. You agree, Shona? Yeah, and I, and again, to Nate's point, I think it'll be different in different sectors. Like, you know, your world, Nate, a lot with tech and startups and entrepreneurs and that kind of stuff. I can imagine some of those companies and individuals are probably a little bit ahead in terms of the mindsets and wanting to embrace this. Whereas I think some of the, you know, corporates and stuff might be a little bit slower. So I think, yeah, I think it depends. And I think things will be different. And I, I imagine that it's going to be a bit of a hybrid, like in my world, you know, I do a lot of face-to-face -face and big conferences and inspirational talks and stuff like that. But the workshop side of what I do and the one-on-one high-end coaching side of what I do, I imagine that that part of my business will be more, you know, embracing some of these technologies even after the coronavirus. People will realise that they can do the private coaching via a Zoom call or they can have those workshops around managing high-performing teams. And obviously I'm doing now managing virtual teams, which I was teaching before, but it's really popular now. Those sorts of parts of my business you could do remotely, you know, perhaps just as effectively. So I think, you know, I imagine my future is going to be a bit of a hybrid. Um, and I think, yeah, different companies and different sectors are going to, you know, embrace it and continue to use some of these things more or less, you know, afterwards. And, and it'll be different depending on the sector, depending on the size of the company, depending on the mindsets of the leaders within that company, you know. But definitely some of these things that are happening now you know, they're not going to go backwards because once, you know, we're creatures of habits, right? So if people realize some of these things mm. work and they do work well and you can, you know, access your best talent from further away and people do mm. actually work really well remotely and that sort of thing, why would you go back to the way before? So once we're stuck in some of these habits, some of these habits at least, I predict are going to stick. On that um, remote talent um, point, Shona, do you think that uh, you know, local companies, local corporates that have traditionally just sourced talent locally, you think that they will look further afield? Like if you're looking for a product manager, yeah, it's quite I know. difficult in Australia. Well, they're the questions I've been asking myself, Nate. I don't know. I'd love to talk to you about that offline at some point. Yeah. I'm not sure. But again, it's so in my world, I was based in London for 10 years. And one of my challenges was how do I continue servicing this great network and client base I've built for, for 10 years, right? And so I continue to go back to London twice a year. And I obviously stay in touch online and things like that. But after this, like I'm excited to think, wow, that just opens up my reach as an inspirational speaker and a coach because I've got all these international contacts. Whereas before I had to travel to Dubai, I can do that online now. So I imagine that within companies, Nate, like, wow, is this the future? Will a big company or will your company, like you'll go, we need someone that's an expert in this part of technology. Why are we just looking in Perth? Or why are we just looking in Australia? You know, like you guys are in tech. So it's like, well, why yeah. wouldn't we totally embrace this? And then it becomes a global talent pool, which I'm really excited about. And then back to your point about brand, Josh, you know, it's even more important because it's not just about, well, who's local and who do you know in your own personal little network anymore? Mm -hmm. It's like, well, who's the best person for this job? So, 
Yeah, it's exciting. I don't know, Nate, if I, you know, how much that's <laughs> going to happen or when it's going to happen. But I, I yeah. do sign a think in the future. And I know when I follow some big tech companies in like the US, you know, they have people spaced miles and miles and miles away that never, ever come really and work with them hardly ever in person or maybe once a year. So I think, you know, is that the future? I mean, that's the exciting thing to, to, mm. for, all, for all of us to watch out for, I guess, and see. Yeah. Now we're talking about how coronavirus has changed working forever. Now, Adrian, do you agree the future of work is the future of worker well-being? And what is workload automation? I think, uh, let me touch on workload automation first. So uh, I think at the very simplified uh, manner, workload automation is basically using technology to assist you in automating a lot of the work that you're doing. Mm. So if we were to look at a very personalized version, uh, if you have heard of a company called Zapier, uh, Zapier is a middleware that connects different software together. So in fact, I just uh, done up a Zap uh, yesterday where anything that I place into my to-do list automatic, automatically becomes an event in my uh, Office 365. So that, that, that is a very simplified version. And of course, you have companies going into RPA, robotic process automation, where they would really scale up uh, phone, uh, forms building data entry works between different systems that could never communicate with each other before. So there are many different facets of workload automation. But going to how things would be done, I think, yes, uh, in trying to be more outcome-driven, uh, companies as well as individuals will be looking at a smarter way to work. Mm -hmm. So if you could spend just 10 minutes on completing this task, why do you want to spend an hour? So uh, a lot of technologies will be trying to come in to support this area. And we have already seen a lot of this being done in US, in many European countries. And I'm very certain with uh, this COVID-19 situation driving us to function in a very different way, this would just exponentially increase and encourage more people to experiment with different technologies and different processes to make automation part of their work. Are you also really conscious of people's, I guess, mental health and well-being during this period as well? Oh, yes. But personally, for me, I think I'm going bonkers uh, because uh, the lockdown has uh, kept us indoor for the past two to three weeks. Mm. And beyond that, uh, schools are still going on. But instead of conducting in, in, in public school, we are supposed to homeschool the kids. So right now, three of my kids are, I don't know, somewhere. My wife is taking care of them right now, <laughs> getting homeschooled. Uh, and it's very frustrating. And and recently, I, I started to pen an article for Channel News Asia talking about the same thing, talking about whether Zooming will be the new norm. And based on further research, I also realized, um, actually, when it comes to, uh, to interaction with other human beings, physical touch, cuddle, hugs, would actually induce release of hormones in our bodies, which is why we actually enjoy the companionship of people around us, the physical being of, the, of them around us. That is something you cannot get in a large-scale Zoom webinar, mm. which was also why when uh, my friend and I participated in a book-sharing club recently online, we found it to be very draining, very extremely draining because you are literally focusing on the issues and problems and whatever every single one of them is talking about, but you don't get that moment release. Mm. And it just becomes very overbearing. It's like sitting in a three hours lecture nonstop. So uh, I think the well-being of, uh, of the individual could be very, very hard to manage right now, uh, which is why we, uh, we have to look at small little things that we could do while we are being cooked up in, at home, like meditation, uh, looking out, looking outside, taking a, uh, taking a longer break than you want to. So I think well-being is something that many people should really emphasize on during this period of time.
Is that something you're concentrating on too, Nate, the well-being of your own staff? Yeah, 100%. So I think that's what we really need to give space for at the moment. I think a lot of people are finding that although work may have decreased, they're spending so many hours sitting in front of a computer and there's almost no separation from work, life and home life. I was always really bad at that. Now I'm even worse. Um, And so I think carving out social time is absolutely critical making sure you're not losing sight of your hobbies. We always do a social check-in on a Friday and things like um, going for a walk outside and encouraging those sort of behaviours for yourself and for your team is critical because I'm with Adrian, you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty strong ex- extrovert. I need to be around other people to get energy and, you know, I'm, I'm quite enjoying this new way of working, but at the same time, it comes with a whole bunch of challenges, um, particularly from an energy standpoint. And I end up at the other end of the day more exhausted than I would be if I had 10 meetings or 10 hours of facilitation in person. So I think well-being is something that we, we need to really focus on at the moment and we need to take seriously. Now, Shona, we're seeing this pandemic is becoming an accelerator for one of the greatest workplace transformations of our lifetime. Will how we work, learn and communicate be changed forever? I think it will be. And to what extent, I guess, you know, that is the bit that remains unknown. So I think absolutely with all the learning technologies with, you know, in my world, webinars, Zoom sessions, all that kind of stuff, that is going to be changed forever. People are being forced to embrace it more than they ever have through need. You know, companies are wanting to support, develop, you know, upskill their staff. And at the moment, at least, this is the only way they can do it. So those, you know, some of those changes are definitely going to stay. In terms of just work in general, things like remote working, flexible working, all that kind of stuff. Again, if people can prove that they can, you know, work like this and deliver great results for their companies, it's going to be harder to be able to say to people, well, no, you can't do that, or at least have some more flexibility around that. So I think, yeah, all the changes that are happening now, you know, and it is a scary time for all of us, but when we do get through this and when we can go back, you know, to the face-to-face world, Mm. I do think a lot of these things are going to stick because once you've tried something and if it does work and, you know, for business owners and big corporates, you know, there's lots of cost-saving issues around this as well if people don't have to travel so much. So, yeah, I, I, I predict there will be lots of these things sticking. And in my world, I'm excited. Not that face-to-face stuff will stop because I absolutely love that and I thrive off the big events and I love the energy that Adrian and Nate have talked about. But I definitely also think, you know, the online, the Zoom calls, the webinars, and not just in a training world, but just in terms of management, I definitely think a lot of those things are going to become more and more and more popular now that people are used to it. People have the technology to do it. They've practiced doing it for a considered amount of time. Um, Yeah, some of those things definitely have to stick after this. Adrian, do you think Singapore is as excited about how we work, learn and communicate will be changed in the future? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I think even though Singapore is a very small country, people are by and large quite lazy to travel. Uh, so <laughs> the way the way technology has allowed us to com- to make communication much easier uh, definitely would make uh, would create lesser meetings, uh, more Zoom calls, uh, more interaction online, and and I think it, it this period of time also allow us to think about how to work in a smarter way. So instead of doing a face-to-face, could we do a call? Instead of doing a call, can we do a message instead? So again, becoming very outcome-driven from the get-go and try to achieve the same result with the minimal amount of effort. Now, Nate, billionaire Mark Cuban has predicted there will be a deluge of new business and perhaps world-changing companies 
could we see a surge in startups? Yeah, I think so, possibly, Josh. I think there's a, there's a saying in politics that says, don't let a good crisis go to waste. And I think really strong entrepreneurs and founders probably have a similar mindset by a different way. I think what we are seeing is, you know, existing businesses adapt. So you would have seen so many stories in the news about um, businesses um, helping with medical supply, whether it's manufacturing ventilators or, or masks, adapting their business mm-hmm. model. I think what you will see is a lot of technology start, startups think about how do we encourage this remote collaboration more. So there's going to be an influx of startups um, in that sector. But I think conversely, you're actually going to see a whole bunch of the superfluous startups uh, kind of um, decrease. So people, because they're going to be a little bit more cash poor, potentially, a little bit more conservative with cash due to the economic uncertainty, what you might see is all those extra subscriptions we have in our business to run some of our tasks might actually decrease. Mm. And so we might see an increase in remote collaboration startups, but a a decrease in some of those other nice-to-haves. And I think one of the big challenges startups will have is that uncertainty around funding, both from their customers through revenue Mm. and from investors. And we facilitated a panel yesterday with a panel of different investor types, angel investors, institutional, um, and a corporate uh, venture fund. And the message there was that they're all open, but they're going to be significantly... Um, cautious about investing during this time due to the uncertainty and also you know valuations are going to take a hit as well you're not your company potentially is not valued as much as it was um, and so money is going to be more expensive if you're looking for external capital now adrian we've seen some of the worst unemployment numbers since the great depression what will take for job seekers to stand out from the crowd after covid19 and how are you helping companies with their digital employee hr experience uh, especially on the employee side, I think uh, people really have to uh, show what they have gone through, what they are able to bring to the table in this current uh, new, uh, the new, the new norm. And I think importantly is to revisit uh, what they could, how they could do things very differently. I, as, as we have all agreed, I think moving forward, companies will behave very differently. Companies like mine have taken uh, a review to really think about whether we require so much real estate moving forward mm-hmm. and whether it would also make sense, like what Sean has mentioned, uh, looking at people from other parts of the country uh, instead of concentrating them into this small little building. So I think the way uh, this would operate would be very different. And of course, uh, not to truth be told, not everyone can work from home efficiently. Mm-hmm. So you have to bring to the table as well, how are you able to bring your self-discipline along with your work and how you can ensure that things are being done without constant supervision. So that's one thing. Uh, at a company level, we are trying to infuse a lot of digital uh, HR experience across different companies by providing them with uh, a very easy to pick up, very consumer grade software in uh, doing all their HR transaction through smartphone, with a chatbot, and looking at ways we could try to simplify the entire HR experience so that it will become very invisible. Mm-hmm. It, it is, HR transaction is not something that you want to spend 10 minutes on. You don't spend 10 minutes on trying to apply for your leave. You just want to do it in one second so that you can move on to your work. And that's what we are trying to do, to be the mm-hmm. invisible layer behind all employees so that they can be as productive as possible. Now, that's all the time we've got, but I've got one more question. What should the first thing our UWA community do after listening to this episode about upskilling? 
Oh, it's always hard when you say just one thing, Josh. Just I'm going to go multiple. with <laughs> just multiple. Okay, one thing. It always blows my mind, although I'm sure that's already shifted from the corona times, how many people are not really on LinkedIn or have not spent some time updating their LinkedIn profile or don't have a photo and that kind of thing. So one tip would be think about your LinkedIn profile. Think about your on, your online brand. There we go. That would be my big one. Spend some time thinking about your brand, your online and your offline brand. Like what do you stand for? You know, what makes you stand out in these competitive times? How are you showing up online? And, and link to that because we've talked about it a lot. You know, thinking about your network. This is, you know, this is not a time to just take your foot off the brake. You know, a lot of people are out there, like Nate said, coming up with new ideas and being creative. So for people listening in, you know, think about your network, reach out to people, you know, continue to stay, you know, visible and top of mind and all those great things during this, because it is, we are going to come out the other end and there'll be lots of amazing opportunities off the back of this. And you want to be amongst all of that. So continue building your brand, continue building your, your network, I would say for everyone listening in from your alumni database. I think uh, practice a bit of self-care. I think that, you know, one of the messages we've been talking a lot about is, and this too shall pass, as, as Shane just said, and I think we're all in this together. There's a really great opportunity here and we all need to hustle and move fast and think about our, our careers moving forward. But also I think it's taken or given a lot of people an opportunity to pause and really reflect on where they want to focus their energy and time. And so if you haven't done that, I would really consider taking the, the quietness or the stillness that um, sometimes occurs in these moments to think about um, what you really want to do and what you really want to focus on. And is there maybe a short course that uh, Skills of the Modern Age are offering that is, you know, you should recommend people to start off with as well? Yeah, we've got a whole bunch of uh, skill gyms happening every week. So they're free. And then we've got a, a couple of um, paid programs coming up as well. So you can check out our website at skillsofthemodernage.com.au. And Adrian? I think everyone should really uh, spend a lot of time to reflect. And like what Ned has mentioned, to reflect and see what works for them, what doesn't work for them. Mm -hmm. Because of this COVID-19 period, you will find that there's a lot of productivity porn online, uh, which will just bring you down a rabbit hole on what might work for <laughs> other people, but what might not work for you. Uh, so constant experimentation, trying to test out what would, what would work. Uh, meditation works for me, but it might not work for you. So if it doesn't, then drop it. Look at some something else so uh, you just have to fit everything into what you believe would work within your own personal life and try and see an a b test uh what might lead to the best outcome now that's all the time we have but shona if people want to find out more about you where yep. should they go yep so there's a whole bunch of free resources on my website which is www.shonarowan.com and like nate i've just released an e-course especially for this time so if they'd like to know more they can just email me or join my newsletter subscription and then they'll get sent a link to that in this month's newsletter nate do you encourage people to reach out to you through linkedin yeah linkedin's great yeah big channel for me Adrian, what about if people want to find out more about, about you and, you know, maybe some of our, you know, we've got over 8,000 alumni in Singapore. What's the best way to find out to, what, to connect with you? Uh, I have a personal blog, adriantan.com.sg, or they could just find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm also on Twitter and Facebook as well. So they can reach out to me on any of these channels. Perfect. And I'll add these links into our notes, but Shona, Nate, Adrian, thank you so much. Uh, we look forward to sharing this with our community and look forward to seeing where everything takes us in this COVID-19 pandemic. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, John.